This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily today is monday january 8th 2024 on today's episode of the show we are going to be talking about the latest film and tv news my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film staff writer and box office analyst ryan scott Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Uh, good, good. Just, you know, settling into the rhythm of a new year. Uh, I said earlier, this is the most uh, Monday of Mondays of the year where you kind of have that like, oh, God, we're doing this again. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, no, it's uh, it's good. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um. So we've been doing a lot of top 10 episodes on the podcast. We are going to resume those tomorrow, but I wanted to take a minute uh, today since you and I have already gone over your top 10 to sort of catch people up on some new stuff that's happened and then get into some box office discussion as well. Um, and then, yeah, we got we got some fun stuff coming up um, very soon on the podcast. This Friday's episode I've already earmarked is going to be a very amusing one for people who listen to the show regularly. So uh, definitely be, be on the I lookout for that. Very excited about Friday's show. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so let's get into the news here. Uh, not really a ton to talk about on this one, but uh, Stranger Things season five has finally actually begun production like for real this time. Um, this show obviously began back in 2016, uh, major hit for Netflix. And now I'm checking my notes and it looks like the cast members are, yes, 100 years old now. So, oh my uh, God, I, I don't even watch it anymore. But just like even when last season was coming out and I think it was Noah Shep when they showed like how old he's gotten, like, I don't know how they're even going to do this and not make it look silly. Yeah. His is kind of the worst because he still has like a, a bowl cut or like his, his, uh, the hairstyle and like his, uh, outfit choices and stuff for that character are just like 
very, very unfortunate. But he for- also looks the most like a grown ass man, like relative, <laughs> like, 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 I don't know. It, it's, it's, uh, but I mean, what, you know, whatever they got to do what they got to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think my understanding is that, uh, production is going to start like, I mean, I'm sorry, the production started right now, but like they're actually um, not going to be able to get this thing like finished and like up on the Netflix service until sometime in 2025. So uh, that's going to be almost 10 years for that show. So um, at least the, the good news is, yes, they are finally before cameras. I mean, they, they were obviously like pretty severely delayed from the strikes and stuff last year. But uh, OK, so that's that. Um, this one is kind of interesting. Ryan, and I, I was curious what you thought about this, because uh, they announced, I believe this was late last week, that Gerard Butler is going to be playing a live action Viking. In fact, the same exact character that he played in the animated movie, How to Train Your Dragon, in the live action version of How to Train Your Dragon, which comes from the same writer and director of the animated movie. So Gerard Butler is just like reprising this role, but live action this time. So what's your take on that? Okay, so I know a lot of people have a great deal of affection for this franchise, and I'm sad to say that I don't. Um, but I do like, like, I, I never followed through with the trilogy, but I, I like the first movie just fine. But here's the thing. I think, one, I completely understand why DreamWorks is doing this. Like, these movies made a ridiculous amount of money, and people really like them. So, okay, fine. I think it's I think it's compelling that Dean Du Bois is, like, going to do it himself. Like, so I think that sort of signifies, like, okay, like the guy who sort of shepherded this thing is going to like, so it should feel, you know, true to what people expect. And I think like Gerard Butler looks enough the part, like I'm all for like, if you can bring that per, why not? Like why? Yeah. voice acting is acting. Like I'm very, I, I sort of like very, that's one of my big like Ted talky type things where like, so yeah, if like he was, if he did the role in like in the movies, and and he looks enough the part to bring him back. Absolutely, do this. Like, I've, and and I kind of love Gerard Butler, so I'm like, yeah, please, like, get let it, please go get your paycheck, sir. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a like as far as like these these animated to live action adaptations go. I'm I, this one is fascinating to me because it's so many of the same puzzle pieces in place, and and it'll be interesting to see like how that translates and and can that do like what a Disney live action does or. You know, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't even really thought about it in comparison to the Disney live action stuff, but I'm, I'm sure, of course, that's part of why DreamWorks is deciding to do this in the first place. But um, yeah, the, the character Stoic the Vast is like um, almost like comically huge. And and uh, Gerard Butler is like, um, you know, can be like a big dude if he wants to be like a, a jacked kind of character, but he's not, he doesn't exactly look like a one-to-one of what this character is. But I think... Um, you know, having the the heart and soul of that performance uh, in his voice and his eyes and all of that is going to more than make up for, you know, whatever, like... And, like, prosthetics and costume and, God, what was his character's name in Den of Thieves? Big something. It was, like, Big... Uh, uh, big Nick or something like that? Big Nick or something. Yeah, just just just, just do Big Nick. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> just do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still, like, a little concerned. I mean concerned is probably the wrong word because I'm not a, a stockholder in these companies and I don't really care that much, but um, I, I am a little, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stick with concerned about like the idea of just uh, porting this over to live action and, and seeing how it works because um, the idea of live action characters interacting with CG dragons and stuff just kind of immediately has my hackles up because I just don't think we're there yet technology wise for that to be um, for, for that, uh, relationship to be as prominent and as like, uh, crucial to the plot as it needs to be. Like, 
you know, if you give me um, a prosthetic dragon or like an animatronic dragon or something like that, and like maybe, you know, you could have like that ET kind of uh, kid and, um, and creature uh, relationship that, that just feels more tactile and believable to me than, you know, somebody looking at a tennis ball and a stick kind of deal. But, um, you know, maybe there will be, maybe I'll be surprised. And also, like you mentioned, like Dean DeBloy coming back and, and doing this, it, it reminds me a little bit of honestly, like what James Cameron's doing with Avatar, where he's just like all in on this one, uh, world or one story or, or, you know, one saga or whatever you want to call it. And, um, yeah, the, the fact that he's coming back is the one thing, that uh that has me you know not like full-on despairing or writing this off as like a joke or something so well yeah and i also imagine for him too because it's so hard for these animation guys so many times to be able to like transition and make a live action film and so i think for him it this was probably like an opportunity to be like okay i see why they're letting me do this movie but then if this goes well it might present me a lot of other opportunities so i yep. feel like it you know from him i totally see why he's doing it but yeah i don't know i'm fascinated by this we'll see how it goes uh okay so white lotus season three has assembled its cast um are you a white lotus guy i know ryan you don't you've said before on this podcast that you don't watch a ton of tv is white lotus one of those shows that you make an exception for it is not but it it increasingly feels like one that I would because I think one of the things I do make exceptions for is like uh, like your sort of limited series type shows um, like True Detective where you can sort of you don't have to watch eight seasons like a, a season is what it is and then it's yeah. done. Uh, but this seems very much like my type of thing. So if I do find time, I will get around to it. But as of yet, not so much. Yeah, it's great. I, I love this show. And um, season three is coming up. They're going to be filming in Thailand this season. I think originally they were talking about maybe like Japan or something, but they've changed that to Thailand officially. Uh, I believe production starts next month on this one. And Leslie Bibb, Jason Isaacs, Michelle Monaghan, uh, and Parker Posey are among the new cast members. And then uh, Natasha Rothwell, who played... Uh, a, a key character in season one is actually returning in season three. So um, there are a few other uh, like lesser known actors that, that have been announced here, but you can read about that at slash home.com. So I'll just put a link to the show notes there. Uh, I won't belabor this, Ryan, since you don't watch the show and I don't need to like get into speculation about who these people might be playing, but like, it's safe to say that uh, these people are going to be um, uh, tenant, uh, temporary tenants of uh, a White Lotus resort in Thailand and their vacation is probably not going to go according to plan. So um, we'll see how that ends up shaking out. But I'm, I'm very excited about that show. I think that's another one that even though production starts next month, um, I don't think we're going to see new episodes of the White Lotus until 2025. So it could be a late 2024 thing. But yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, uh, I, I'm suspecting that you have some opinions about this next story, which is that uh, Stephen Yun is no longer going to be starring in Marvel's Thunderbolts movie. Um, I think you and I had talked previously about, um, I believe it was Robert Kirkman, the, the comic book creator and, and TV producer and writer who uh, sort of like quasi spilled the beans on the uh, confirmation that Stephen Yun was going to be, be playing a character called, called uh, The Sentry in this new Thunderbolts movie. And now evidently that's not happening. And I think partially it's, it's being, I, I don't know if this is like the real reason, but the reason that's being put forward in the press is that because of scheduling conflicts, he's well, no he made a available. statement. Did we, did we see, did we cover that? Cause like he, he made a statement about it. Like uh, Stephen Young did after it, it uh, after the news came out. So. Oh, I don't, I don't remember. We, we probably did. Honestly, I, I have, I just can't read every single thing on <laughs> slash film anymore. We published so much stuff. Uh, yeah. but do you remember like the, the broad strokes of what that statement was? I have it in front of me as it just so happens. Okay. Uh, he said, I think for me, uh, time passing and things shifting kind of pulled me out of it. 
uh, and this was to Variety, he said this, but uh, Jake Schreier, uh, I know, is going to do an incredible job. Uh, it took a lot of drafts on email to make sure that I conveyed the sincerity of how sorry I was to have to back out. Uh, and then he also added, I want to do a Marvel movie. And then he said, uh, and then he was kind of pressed about, you know, what that might look like since he's not doing this. He said, I think it's too early to say that. Uh, I probably pissed off too many people leaving. So I'm just going to say thank you for having me. I have some ideas, but I heard if you put it out there, you'll never get it. So I'll keep it close to my chest. So it sounds like he didn't initially have beef with Marvel. It's more that like it was scheduling conflicts and like just because I think he's starring in who directed Minari. I'm I keep. Forgetting. Yeah, it's um, Lee Isaac Chung. Yeah, I'm seeing he's supposed to star in Lee Isaac Chung's next movie. So I think maybe those two things bumped up against each other. But anyway, you know, uh, I imagine Marvel's pissed. But what are you going to do? And uh, I, I imagine it's probably still Sentry. It's just not going to be him. Yeah, so I know that you don't like to be cynical, Ryan. I want to ask you to put a cynical hat on for a second. And um, I'm, you know, my initial thought when I saw that Stephen Young was going to not be in this movie anymore was like, oh, that might be a smart decision by Stephen Young, sort of getting out of the superhero thing while the while the water is filling the boat a little bit. He maybe he's like jumping in a little little bit of a life raft kind of situation, and like he sees how this is going and is using this as an opportunity, the scheduling conflict as an opportunity to say, you know what, like maybe I'm, I'm going to think better of this and, and uh, change my mind here. Um, but I, I wonder if you think like the fact that he's being so effusive about, Oh, I do want to be in a Marvel thing. I, I, you know, I have ideas, whatever. Like, do you think that's uh, for lack of a better term, just like bullshit and like him, you know, he's just like uh, trying to, to cover for leaving this because superhero movies aren't doing what they used to do? Or what do you think? You can never know, but that wouldn't surprise me because I did have that thought when he left. I'm like, because I got to imagine anybody staring down the barrel of one of these long contracts right now is like, they, they, they look at this stuff more, maybe more than we do. And like nobody, it's not a mystery to anybody what happened last year. The only six, I can't say this enough. The only success, outright successful live action superhero movie was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which was a movie that was ending a thing. Yeah. We have not had a successful new superhero franchise started in a minute, unless you count Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which isn't exactly new. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like there's water in the boat. Like, yeah. And also, I can't say this enough when I talk about this stuff. I love this stuff and I am sad what's happening. And I'm like, so I'm like, I'm not like, I'm not one of those people that's like rooting for the demise of superhero cinema. I'm, you know, kind of starting to get a little bit of a, you know, whatever, but, but like, yeah, so I'm with you. I I sort of am able to see this. I don't even know if it's cynical. I just think it's practical from an actor standpoint. Like for a while you were doing these movies to like boost your career profile, help you get other stuff. You know, right now it's like, I don't know that, that seems as safe as it once did. Yeah. And maybe he's being, you know, genuine there. And like, maybe he has uh, designs on, you know, being part of like the X-Men universe or something that, that, you know, this current era of Marvel has not tapped into quite yet, like Fantastic Four or whatever, you know, that, that kind of like corner of the MCU that that they have not uh, gotten into. And like, maybe it's just the the smarter move uh, right now to like punt on joining at this sort of like un- unstable um you know time in in mcu history and you know just boot that down the road a little bit and be like okay maybe if they're able to write the ship then i can come back on board and like play in the sandbox a little bit um you know a little bit down the road if they're able to sort of like 
get back uh, to the to the point where like people are largely liking these movies again. So um, we'll have to see. But uh, okay, so going from Marvel to DC, David Ayer has given up on DC and his director's cut of Suicide Squad, the 2016 movie, um, which was famously troubled that production. There's all, all sorts of stories that we chronicled uh, essentially in real time on, on slash film as that all of that was happening. Uh, we don't need to rehash all of that, but um, suffice it to say, the theatrical cut of that movie was not what David Ayer uh, intended. And in the wake of the release, the Snyder cut movement that somehow against all odds actually convinced uh, HBO slash max or HBO max or whatever to Warner brothers to, to give Zack Snyder more money to actually make that thing and release it on streaming. Uh, in the wake of all that, there was, there were sort of similar rallying cries from uh, DC fandom to release the air cut of Suicide Squad and and try to get this, you know, his uh, vision for what the movie should have been um, up on screen somewhere, probably just streaming. Uh, and David Ayer has been uh, previously like very vocal about actually wanting that to happen. And now he's basically said, uh, you know, game over, like I'm, I'm walking away. It's done. He said, uh, I feel healthier. It's a wound that needs to heal. He also said, uh, nothing about the situation feels good. The studio has no interest in releasing it. It's time to run and not look back. So uh, what do you make of this whole scenario, Ryan? I think I think it's kind of a shame because I sort of like, I, I don't know, I, I the, what happened there felt, uh, look, I do not like Suicide Squad. Like when it first came out, I remember thinking like, okay, it's a little better than Batman v Superman. Cause like, I think Will Smith is Deadshot was just like inspired casting and there was good stuff in there. But the more time has gone on, the more I'm like, no, that movie is really not good. But like, <laughs> but I think like, we'll never know for better or worse. That is not the movie that like air pitched air set out to make that Warner brothers kind of agreed to make, you know what I mean? Cause they got panicked by, you know, dual like Deadpool success and Batman v Superman's like kind of underperformance. Yep. So, so like those two things, we history has been pretty clear that like those things spooked Warner brothers and, and completely changed what that movie was going to be. So, and I think like Ayer has been like, yeah, he's, he's been like critical of what happened, but I think that's fair, but I don't think he's been like super toxic as far, you know, like about like, He's like, yeah, I want my movie out there. Like, and that's fair. Like, it's the biggest movie of his career. I don't think that's unfair. So I, I think like it's probably like he's he's fought pretty hard. He's been positive enough about it, but also like it really is time for him to move on. Like it's been it's been what almost eight years now. Like yeah. I, I get it, dude. Like it sucks, but you know, just I because I think the thing is like he, you know, he, he there's some element of like wanting vindication there, and I get that. And it is unfortunate that like Warner Brothers did release the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League and then like all it did was just like just it was like giving a hungry dog a bone it just wasn't enough and like the worst people just got worse and that didn't help Ayer's case I think if things had went well like and and like like everyone would have just rejoiced like Zack Snyder's fans would have just rejoiced and things would have been nice maybe this would have happened but I think after what happened there was no chance so I think that sucks yeah I also think like you know Warner Brothers is not really um, the same company in many ways that it was when the decision was made to uh, to finish the Zack Snyder version of, of Justice League, you know, like the, the this is the Zaslav era now. And um, it's just it, the, the um, studio's strategy and, and sort of approach to 
everything really just seems like so drastically different. So, um, you know, they, they don't have the, the same, um, uh, really like target on streaming as they once did at, at that time. They don't seemingly have the same relationship with filmmakers that they did. They don't have the same care and interest in <laughs> releasing finished work. I mean, there's just so the, the entire culture of Warner brothers has changed so drastically. Um, that I think it's just like a bad time to to be holding out hope for uh, you know getting X number of millions of dollars to release a, a movie that this the previous regime uh, didn't really love very much. So it yeah. just it seems like he's just you know reading the tea leaves and being like, okay, this is never going to happen. This is the you know the smart move is just to walk away here instead of just like dragging this out. So. Yeah, I do think the slight difference, though, and he's been pretty clear about this. He doesn't need what Zach needed. Like his, his footage is all there. Like he doesn't need reshoots and re, like he just needs to be able to like put his movie back together. Oh, yeah, I you guess know? that's true. Yeah, yeah. Like so. So, you know, yeah, it's going to cost some money, but I'm pretty sure Ayer's not asking for to be paid for his time. Like, I think he'd be willing to go in and like, you know, and then so I, I've always thought like, I don't really know what they have to lose here. Like that's a movie that made a lot of money and like you could theoretically just make more money. I don't know. I, I'm not trying to like encourage like, but I do, I have seen the difference here where it's like Snyder needed $80 million a year yeah. <laughs> a few weeks in an editing suite. Yeah. And like, <laughs> evidently the cut already exists. Like Lee Smith, um, who edited a bunch of stuff for Christopher Nolan, like came in and edited uh, Ayer's like ideal version of this movie. And so like it exists on a hard drive somewhere. Um, so maybe you don't even really need that much. And, and I was thinking, you know, briefly like, oh, maybe this might happen in 2024 because as we talked about the, the theatrical um, calendar is so weak this year. Like maybe, you know, you could just, plop it in theaters in February or something and just be like, Hey, come, you know, come see this. And like, if it makes a few million dollars or whatever, then great. But, or even like in August, like for late, cause wouldn't that be the technically, I mean, cause like August is usually kind of the bare summer month. Like, I yeah, don't know, exactly. Like, yeah. And give it enough time to sort of ramp it up a little bit. Like, but I'm with like, I, again, I think the main reason this will never happen is just because of the attitude of the people that demand this sort of thing, like yeah. sort of, necessitated like i just wrote my this week's tales from the box box office was about justice league and that whole mess so having just written that i'm like yeah i sort of see why this isn't happening yeah yeah uh okay let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some box office stuff all right ryan what are the big stories that i should know about that happened at the box office this past weekend um you know what's interesting is like so it was a quiet weekend relatively but there's some interesting stuff happening so this weekend was down compared to this weekend last year but la this weekend last year, I believe, was when Megan hit theaters. So Megan was a bigger than expected hit. But let's talk about some things that are happening. Wonka topped the box office again. It only dropped 37%. This movie has made $465 million worldwide. You want to talk about a hit nobody saw coming? Like that? I mean, I think maybe people thought this movie was going to do okay. It is doing except it is guaranteed to pass $500 million worldwide now. Incredible. Um... So that dot topped the charts again. Uh, Blumhouse's latest Night Swim came in number two, uh, made $12 million. Perfectly fine. Made another almost $6 million overseas. It's going to do just fine. Uh, we know how Jason Blum works. This movie probably didn't cost more than $15 million to make. Mm -hmm. You know, it's already made that in ticket sales. It'll be fine. Uh, it's just kind of like playing like a January horror movie. So that's okay. That the uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is something we're talking about. Uh, it dropped 42% in its third weekend. So it made $10.5 million. 
Um, it's holding better than I think some of us thought. Like we didn't really know just because of how bad like the Marvels like held and how bad some of these movies have done, but it, it's doing okay. Uh, it passed a hundred million domestic and it's got two two thirty four internationally. So it's just a few nickels shy of three thirty five worldwide, which makes it the highest grossing DC movie released in twenty twenty three. Uh, that's kind of like a you know <laughs> a low a, bar, <laughs> a low bar to clear, and it's still a tremendously expensive movie. Uh, I've seen the budget listed anywhere between two hundred five and two hundred and fifty million. Um, so obviously, you're not anywhere near profitability, but with lack of competition, this could kind of maybe get close to. 500 worldwide like if it gets really if it does really well but i you know and that would be kind of like okay maybe okay but like so i don't know we'll see but it's not not as bad okay um well that's some gonna, i guess some good news for warner brothers there some decent news i'm just gonna run through the top five real quick here and then we got migration which is the animated uh movie uh uh written by mike white of the white lotus fame uh that has crossed 150 million worldwide um it, it's doing kind of what i thought it was going to do and it's going to hold okay just because there's no competition in that space um so i think that movie could end up doing okay for universal in the end uh the big one though is anyone but you uh this is the rom-com starring glenn powell and sydney sweeney um in my time covering the box office i cannot i can't say that it's never happened i cannot recall something like this ever happening uh let me explain to you what's going on this movie opened uh one of those like around uh, opened just before christmas it came in at number four on its opening weekend, made just $6 million. So they kind of said, eh, okay, you know, dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. The weekend of December 29th, it made $8.7 million. So it made 46% more than it did its first weekend. This most recent weekend, January 5th, it made $9.7 million, up 11% from the prior weekend. So it has increased its take each weekend. Uh, of its first three weekends uh it is now sitting at 43 uh just shy of 44 million domestic it's got 14.7 million internationally uh uh almost at 59 million worldwide against a 25 million dollar budget and it's been increasing not decreasing its take so you know theatrical rom-coms can totally work you put a couple of stars in there that people want to see word of mouth on it is good there's not enough direct competition i mean like it it's kind of amazing that it's been going the way that it's going. So I wonder if it's just because of good word of mouth or like, do you think there's another factor to why? I mean, maybe there were like so many other sort of maybe buzzier things that were out around the Christmas. uh, And that's true. That's true. But also like, again, so this movie's still sitting in at like five, it's not climbing the charts. It's just doing, you know, I mean, that's the other thing we're still looking at. What you're looking at is all five of the top five movies this, this week almost made like, essentially 10 million dollars or more there's a good spread like like we talked about at the end of the year i think people still want to be going to the movies Mm -hmm. i think we're starting to redevelop that habit of movie going now there was a report that came out over the weekend from hollywood reporter that one in five moviegoers pre-pandemic have not yet returned but i think what we're seeing is that like it's not these franchises superhero things this that people just want to go see stuff and so I think, like, if you can make things for a certain budget and you can get them out there, you're seeing they can sustain the, the moviegoer ship is there. It's just all about counter programming and this and that. So this is all good to me. The Boys in the Boat made $6 million this weekend. Color Purple's fading a bit, but it's out there. Iron Claw made almost another $5 million. Like, what is it? At least uh, 15 movies this weekend made at least a $1 million. I can't remember the last time that happened. So wow. 
to me, I think it's just a, it's, it's a sort of encouraging, like, no, people want to find, seek stuff out. So that's what I think is sort of happening. And then I think that one in five stat is kind of wild to me. Like the, the fact that the, I know we've talked about 2024 maybe being um, more dire than 2023, but the fact that 2023 crossed 9 billion at the box office uh, domestically and only one in five people who used to regularly go to the movies before the pandemic have returned to the theaters. That's like- Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. That was a reverse. So, no, I'm sorry. It's four in five. So one in five have not. Like, oh, okay. So- okay. Sorry. I misunderstood sorry, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm sorry. Maybe I explained that for you. So yeah. So there's like, if you had five people that went to the movies before the pandemic, you now only have four of them that have returned. Okay. Okay. Uh, that makes more sense. Okay. I was, yeah. I was about to say, that's like a lot of upside and, for and if actually, those people come if you, back. And actually, if you look at um the like that number actually really really tracks because if you look at what we talked about as the total domestic box office for the year so let's so you basically have 20 percent of moviegoers have not returned and you had last year was like nine billion worth of box office total for domestic and then like 2020 2019 you had like 11 billion yep you know like that's that kind of accounts for that that gap there yeah so you know yeah so anyway Kind of interesting. Okay, so looking ahead to this week, I am curious about, um, well, Mean Girls, we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in this week in, in, I will say, an amusing way. Um, I am (laughs) curious about uh, The Beekeeper, though, the new Jason Statham action movie. You and I, I think, talked about this when the trailer came out. We're, like, very much looking forward to this movie. Uh, How do you think that this movie is going to perform um, at the box office? Well, Ben, as I will always say before I start talking about a forecast, I am not a good prog- prognosticator, and I never have been. Um, but uh, I do think this movie is going to play like your standard January action movie. Um, I do think, though, I am encouraged, as directed by David Ayer. Um, and uh, it uh, the, the early word on it has been like, it seems like exactly the movie people are expecting it. Like, it seems like MGM is marketing the movie that they made. Um, and it's like silly, and it's a good Jason Statham, like, beat him up. Uh, so right now, Box Office Pro is projecting that it's going to make anywhere between 8 and $13 million on its opening weekend. Uh, mean Girls is expected to take take the win. Um, that doesn't mean this movie's dead in the water. Like, it doesn't have to win. It just has to hang around. The question that I have, though, is what it costs to make it. Uh, the budget has not been revealed. The closest kind of comp I could find was Wrath of Man, which was a, a Jason Statham's action movie from a couple years ago. That made like 103 million worldwide against a 40 million dollar budget, so that was more or less a win. Um, I'm hoping that they were able to make it for a similar budget. I I would kind of like it to be in that 30 to 35 range. If that's the case, an eight to 13 million dollar opening would be fine, and it would probably do okay. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I was wondering, like, for something like this, do you look at which one is is more valuable? Like, how previous Jason Statham movies have performed, or how previous January action movies have performed? When you're trying to, you know, not you maybe, but Box Office Pro and and these people who make these prognostications and and sort of like put out the tracking numbers, do you know like how they actually go about doing that? Do you know which one they they put more value on? Um, I think they're, I think they have access to a lot more data than I do, but I think part of it is they're looking at, um, uh, uh, they have access, a lot of them have access to like pre-ticket sales. Like, so actually what is already being bought Oh yeah. and where, and so they can sort of see and what demographics are buying this and that. And they're also looking at, um, 
uh, so they call that pre-release tracking and that's like, you know, whatever ticket sales or whatever. But yeah, then you're going to look at, okay, like with Jason Statham specifically, I think like there's a, there is a form of Jason Statham action movie where he kind of like Liam Neeson in a way where like, you can sort of predict like this core audience will show up for a Jason Statham beat him up action movie. And so I think that is a little helpful when you look at something like this. Um, and so it's all, it's a variety of factors for any given movie. But I think one of the biggest things is sort of looking at, um, how many tickets have sold already uh, and sort of like you, you, people have gotten pretty good at, you know, sort of trending that out. But I will say box office tracking has been much less reliable in recent years. Uh, we've had more surprises. Um, so that's less of an exact science than it used to be. Well, at least it keeps us on a ter- on our toes, keeps things interesting. So. For sure. Uh, speaking of interesting, you wrote an article called The Five Biggest Box Office Gambles of 2024 from Madam Web to Civil War. I don't want to get into that and really like give away your uh, you know your big takeaways or anything, but I did want to just plug it here at the end of the episode. And uh, I'm going to put that link to that in the show notes so people can check that out if you're curious about some more box office stuff looking yeah, ahead. Yeah, I will the say the there's year. a couple of movies coming out this year that – if the budgets I've found are remotely correct, I am like panicking for these movies. Um, uh, yeah, there's, I, I won't say which ones, but there's a, <laughs> there's a couple that, that like when I was doing research for that article and I discovered what they might have cost to make, I kind of like, I just <laughs> had one of those like, sit, <laughs> yeah, sit back in your chair, sort of like that. Uh, there's that famous image of like, uh, uh, Obama sitting in like that, that war room just with his hands kind of up to his chin. And I think like, I sort of felt that way where I was like, Oh God, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. So. Okay. Uh, well, you can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and interview the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you can. That would help us out a lot. Tell your friends, uh, spread the word however you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.